Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. We tried to do a webcam of the show, but this guy's face kept breaking it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, um, unrested, but back from the Chicago Pipe Show in the greater Chicago area. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about in uh, Pipe Parts. Start talking about my uh, Chicago trip. Uh, my guest tonight is Andrew Marks. Andrew's a uh, pipe maker that's been uh, making pipes since the early 1970s, and uh, someone who I knew of, but was uh, but's relatively new to me to talk to. And we've talked now a couple of times on the phone, so we'll have him. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Now, remember, in order to enjoy this uh, fine program, you must be over the legal smoking age for wherever you are. Uh, anyway, all right, so I'm back from Chicago. I uh, managed to get a couple of pipes, but we'll talk some of that in, uh, in pipe parts. Do want to remind you all and say thank you to everyone so far that has donated or purchased an item uh, currently on uh, the JDRF auctions. All out of auction items, so thank you Steve Fallon for that. But but currently sitting on his website, pipestud.com, is the 12-year-old plus tin of CAO Old Ironside. That one's listed at 40 bucks. Quiet computer, thank you. Uh, also donated, uh, that was donated by, uh, by Tom Provost, the, uh, diabetic man and the three tins, the limited edition tins, and then the old tin of, uh, capstan, uh, from, uh, Kevin Godby, those three tins are listed. Please do us all a favor, go there, go to pipestud.com, buy those tins, uh, for those of you that just want to do a kind-hearted small donation of 5 10 20 bucks, whatever it is, to the JDRF, there's a link on the show notes that's directly to my daughter's, uh, my daughter's walk team. It is still not too late to put your donation in, and it's 100% tax-deductible. All right, there we go. Uh, pipe parts coming up in a minute. Everybody sit back, relax. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company, and here we go. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. 
or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. In uh, just a few minutes, Andrew Marks. But uh, in the meantime, in pipe parts, let me see how much of the uh, the, the highlights from the Chicago trip I can get through. Uh, first of all, I arrived Tuesday afternoon. No problems. Uh, the Hilton Garden Inn right across the street was nice enough because they had an issue with the amount of smoking rooms to upgrade me to a nicer larger suite which had a hot tub in it uh i am proud to say that uh that there were no roses at all inside my room ever uh, the room did have a door to a courtyard to go out to smoke and some chairs however the weather the entire week of chicago was cold wet and rainy uh i mean England, damp, cold, rainy, windy weather the entire week. So that kind of put a damper on uh, sitting outside and smoking. But again, got there on Tuesday, got all my uh, got all my stuff set up, got settled in. Uh, Wednesday, fairly easy day. I had uh, one meeting over at the resort, and then I did some retail, and then I ended up at an outlet mall where I was able to pick up a couple of pairs of the Disney Vans tennis shoes that were on super sale. So I'm happy not only I got something that I wanted, but I saved some money, which left more money for pipe show buying. Uh, Wednesday night, I had dinner with some friends, and then Thursday, everything broke loose. Thursday was the uh, blending seminar that I hosted. We had uh, 15 people. And all day long, I mean, it was a six, it was a jam-packed six hours with a 45-minute break for lunch. Seems like everybody had a good time, and this being the first one, I will admit there were some bumps and some bruises in it, but everybody that went there got a chance to smoke two different kinds of straight Virginias, two different kinds of burly condiments, uh, straight Latakia, straight Perique, and then walked away with uh, six brand new clay pipes to do all the taste testing in, and then blended six 100, uh, three 100 gram versions of some blends that they thought they would like out of the components that we had, and then went back and fine tuned their favorite into three variations of that. So everybody that left there left with 600 grams of tobacco. Um, a scorched tongue or two might have been had, and I did warn people. However, uh, several comments from the uh, from the attendees that they enjoyed starting to learn what exactly it is they're taste testing. We are hoping to uh, do the same seminar again next year, and uh, I'll do a better job of it, and I'm sure it'll be a, another uh, really enjoyable event for everybody. Thursday night... Uh, per Jensen and I were invited to a uh, uh, to a banquet for uh, smokingpipes.com. Got to uh, catch up with a lot of old friends, meet some new friends, uh, hang out with several celebrities of the pipe world, uh, including for the first time ever, I finally got to meet Japanese pipe maker Smio Sato, and there will be a whole episode coming up where I will talk about that, and I've 
recorded an interview with him. It was a, a great uh, a great event, and then Thursday night off to the uh, smoking tent to hang out with whoever I happen to run into. Um, one of the fun things for me, and I did it on uh, Thursday night, is to just happen to walk into the smoking tent, grab a seat at a table after saying hi to everybody that you know, and find some brand new folks that you've never met before and just sit down. Well, it turned out that the first folks that I walked up to and sat down was uh, Tom the Diabetic Man and his wife Ariel, and we got to hang out, and then a couple of their friends, uh, some YouTubers, and they were very nice and polite and didn't slobber all over stuff. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Thursday night was just a, a, a really nice evening. Now, Friday morning is where... Uh, the pre-show swap and sale happens. And for me, because of my responsibilities for Sutliff and McBaron, uh, that Friday morning swap is my, um, uh, that's my, my real pipe show. That's my chance to walk around, go table to table. And for those of you that haven't been to the Chicago pipe show, the pre-show swap and sale is about, uh, 80 to 90 tables usually. Uh, eight-foot tables, with each person being given a half a table to display their wares or display what they've got to sell. Uh, it's free of charge, so you get a lot of folks that won't be exhibiting on Saturday and Sunday that are showing stuff, and you get a preview of some of the people that are uh, that are exhibiting on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the biggest thing that happened this year was the smoking tent's 6,000 square feet with furniture in it, well, there were so many people wanting into the pre-show and swap that they ended up putting tables up one side of the tent beyond where they normally would. And there were even some fine folks that were on tables outside of the tent, uh, including uh, my friend Lauren from the Briar Patch in Sacramento. Uh, it seemed like this year, my impression... Not quite as many as estate pipes as in the past, but a lot of new pipes. A lot of uh, contingents from different countries were kind of grouped together, so that was fun to see. I did pick up a handmade uh, little uh, reverse calabash that's kind of in the shape of Tom Eltang's Tubos pipe, made by one of the Greek pipe makers, and maybe I'll talk about that more in the future. Uh, but it's really cool because it's also got a great design on it. And uh, Anyway, perfectly brand new, handmade little reverse calabash. 200 bucks, Great deal. Um, we're running a little long on this. I will say that the pre-show and swap is basically a event that is larger than most pipe shows in the country. And that's just the pre-show and swap that ends at uh, 3, 4 o'clock on Friday. All right, enough of that rambling on. Let's get to Andrew, who's holding on the phone. So we'll be back with uh, Andrew Marks in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Heck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com 
Fornoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fornoggins.com. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a pipe maker that the first time I really got to talk to you was just a few weeks ago when we were planning this. I've seen your work before, and I'm excited to have you on the show, so please welcome... Andrew Marks to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Excellent. Would so, you like me to just begin myself, or would you like to ask me a question, Brian? Well, let, let's find out first of all, where did you grow up, and uh, and when did you get into pipes? I grew up in New York City. I grew up in a small island called Manhattan. <laughs> and my parents were quite artistic. My mother was a writer, a sculptor, painter. Uh, writer of children's books, plays. My dad was uh, a creator of architectural medals. So I, I, I grew up around design and art. And um, maybe it, it's just inevitable that I, w- I was to end up uh, making making something. Um, my dad smoked a pipe, and I guess when I, when I was about 15, he, he smoked a Dunhill. I still have it. Big, wow. lovely sandblasted old Dunhill with a little tiny white dots in it. And he gave me a little Dunhill when I was about 15 or 16 years old. I smoked it respectfully in the house. And I just got to like pipes. Um, now, I became a pipe maker some years later, of course. Uh, so I grew up in Manhattan, uh, went to the usual schooling, went to a college in Vermont called Middlebury College, graduated in 1966. Um, traveled out, well, I was a VISTA volunteer after that for two and a half years. And then about, I think I was 26 years old and and ended up traveling out to California. Oh, uh, my last two years of of VISTA work was in Philadelphia. A tobacco shop there named Holtz. It was on Broad Street. Uh, And um, they had just gotten in about 1967, the first... I'm, by the way, 72 years old. I, I, people tell me I sound in my 30s, but I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a bit older than that now. But uh, in 1967, I saw the first handmade pipes that were coming into the United States in Holtz Tobacco Shop in Philadelphia, and I was intrigued with them. I had never seen anything but classical shapes. And uh, they held my attention. And two years later, when I went to California, uh, free of, of government service at that time and free of the danger of going into, into Vietnam. I was living at the time with a maker of classical guitars uh, who also had a very beautiful uh, girlfriend, as a matter of fact, and had lovely land in Carmel Valley, California. Ooh. I was walking down a dirt road one day near his home, and, and being influenced by all those things, looked at the pipe I was smoking and said to myself, perhaps I could make pipes by hand for my livelihood. And from that moment on, 
I really coalesced uh, my energies into just that. I mean, we all wanted to know what the heck we're going to do when we grow up, and it looked as if maybe I had found what I wanted. So from that point on, I started looking around and apprenticing, or at least visiting, anyone I could in the United States who had anything to do with making pipes. And today I actually made a list of some people that I, with gratitude uh, back then, uh, for having helped me, been my friend, perhaps my mentor, uh, Ken Erickson, Mark Zeven, a gentleman made, named Scott in Briars and Blends in Hayward, California, let me use the back of his workshop with a, a hand rasp making, making pipes, which is actually the way I worked for the first couple of years, just hand tools. Um, Dick Johnson in, in, in Pennsylvania, Jack Weinberger, Max Schulte in New Jersey, Joe Gregorio, Joe Cortigiano in New York, who secretly made all the pipes for Wilkie's, Mel Rosenberger of the Arlington Briar Pipe Company, and of course my Danish colleagues, uh, former Nielsen, who was in the 70s, he was the chief maker for Larson, Poole Hansen, and Six Nevison. Um, wonderful people all, and, and, and helpers, just gen gentlemen, kind folk. Um, so uh, my greatest mentor, though, uh, Brian, uh, and I think this is probably true of everyone who does anything uh, of intensity and maybe on his own, is the work itself, uh, the hours spent. Uh, that's the greatest mentor, the efforts made, the successes, the failures, the experimentation, the trial, the error, the risk-taking, and the making of mistakes. I think these are in fact the greatest teachers, and uh, they've been my greatest teachers. If you mess up a piece of briar, you know it. Uh, it, it, it they're ex uh, burls of briar are expensive, for one thing, and your care for another. And anything can go wrong. Um, you can make the mistakes, the briar can be at fault. It's just a wonderful exercise. It's a great risk, and you never know how it's going to turn out in the end, which to me is still the intrigue of the entire process. You might end up with something exquisite, and you might end up, after you shape the entire pipe, Brian, maybe you've sanded it right down to 220 or you cents, all of a sudden you're seeing this little teeny spot in the surface. What is this? It's <laughs> a little perfection. <laughs> what do you do with it? Do you leave it? Do you stain the pipe? What do you do? Well, maybe you try to get it out because everything else in the pipe is perfect. The shape is perfect. The briar, everything, a little... But what you don't know when you, when you work on this little, you're going to be taking wood away, of course. You're taking it away from one side of the pipe. Are you going to have to even it up on the other? Is the imperfection going to get bigger? Is it going to get smaller? Will it go away? It's wonderful. You don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great challenge, and it's still intriguing to me after, I don't know, almost 50 years of this work. So there, that's how I began, and that's a little bit about my, uh, my philosophy. Where shall we go from here? Well, let me let me go back to all the all those people that you talked about. Did you spend time traveling around the world visiting them? Well, I spent my first informative years going around the U.S., you know, visiting anyone I could find who made pipes and learning whatever I could and going back and just working, um, and working and working and and learning by the work itself. Um, I I am as much self-taught as I am having learned from others. Um, and my sense of design is, I would say, pretty much my own. I, I, of course, I've seen much work, and, and, and I'm sure been influenced. At the same time, 
I don't know. I operate from some inner working that uh, I, I don't know how to put this, but but the end result usually is a very personal thing. You know, trying to come up with something that has grace, has you know, uh, has simplicity, maybe elegance, um, and the shape is is up is up to up to the briar, how it appears to you, what you want to do with it what it turns into you as you're working it. It's all a very interesting process. In about 1975, I had a long conversation with Tom Dunn, a dear friend of mine. Yeah. He's now passed away. Many people know him from the Piper Smokers Ephemeris. And I had the pleasure of getting to, to know Tom up in the Adirondacks where he had his camp, and he would invite me, and we'd, we'd spend a bit of time up there. And Just a lovely, lovely, simple, decent, good man who did so much wonderful work for the pipe community, and I think now that community has kind of dissipated to some extent, but it was quite wondrous back in those days when everybody would, would write real letters uh, and Tom would end up publishing them and then sending everything out uh, at his own expense in the mail to all the members of the Coterie. And it was a lovely time. At any rate, I asked of Tom if he could possibly put me in touch with any of the the greats in, in Copenhagen. Did he know anyone? Well, it so happened that Tom knew Per Hermann. Per Hermann was the, the briar importer in Copenhagen who supplied all the great Danish pipe makers with briar in the early 70s. He supplied Celius, he supplied Bang, he supplied Sixten, uh, uh, he supplied... I have a list of whom he supplied. He supplied all the greats. And everybody was getting their briar from Per Hermann. So Tom introduced me to Per Hermann, and through that gracious introduction, I was invited over to Copenhagen. Spent time with Per Hermann, who then introduced me to former Nielsen, my friend, uh, Poul Hansen, and Sixten Iverson, whom I spent time with. So that was a wonderful visit in 1975 or so uh, to Copenhagen, and it was through the graciousness of all these folks that I was able to, to, to go. Um, which I guess brings me to speaking about Sixten because you know he's known uh, even today now as the greatest pipe maker of all time and, and back then as well. The other pipe makers, without jealousy, would refer to Sixten as the, as the cleverest of them all. Um, to me, he was, a, he was a gentleman. He's a man of great equanimity, of humor, kindness, and of course, inventiveness. Um, my first encounter with, with Sixten was to walk into his workshop and I have written down. You want me to read you something? Yeah, please. I remember not the weather that day, but I entered into, for the entering into, Sixt, into Sixten's little shop in Copenhagen took all of my attention. I remember readjusting my eyes to the cobwebby, briar-dusted interior world of the pipe maker. I remember a glass case. It was empty. It was empty, by the way, Brian, because everything that Sixton made, even then, was sold before he even touched his hands to the briar. <laughs> it was empty, but upon its top sat a little pipe upright, an unfinished but beautiful little thing in its originality its grace and its finest, the finest of its execution. Upon greeting me, 
Sixten delightedly spun this little pipe upon its softly rounded bottom. Upon stopping, it wobbled slightly, trembled, and began a turn in the opposite direction. Sixten was entertained, it was entranced with his little creation. Where do I go from here? This was the maker I had come to see. This gentleman, this icon, the one to whom the finest Danish makers of the day referred to as the most clever. Over the few days I, I visited with Sixten, I watched him work, and we shared a, a pipe maker's lunch each day, which is a very fast, quick lunch, and then back to work, which didn't last too long. I watched him as he drilled the draft hole freehand. As the drill came into the burrow, dead center into the bottom of the bowl, this daring move, the pipe had been completely shaped, sanded to perhaps 320, 400 grit, and then he went and drilled the draft hole. Now there is a man of confidence. <laughs> Why is the work of Sixten Everson considered great? It relates to the man himself. I see his work as masterful. He was an artist. His work was not overstated. He captured in the briar qualities he himself possessed. Grace, balance, originality. His works are often subtle, but never dull. At their best, they inspire the large emotions that all great art can. Wow. Behind his work was the man, and from the little I knew of Sixten, certain qualities seem readily to come to the fore. First I sensed no guile, no hidden anything. Here was a man who, who loved his work, and I suspect his life as well. In his late 60s, perhaps, now I'm 72, he was ageless, humble yet certain of himself, a man who delighted in his work and in his creation. So there, that's a little bit about the greatest pipe maker who ever lived. A lovely man himself. That's a perfect spot for us to take a break. We'll come back with more of Andrew, so stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupofjoes.com. Cupofjoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. Cupofjoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly pipes. Check out their remodeled website at cupofjoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook. Cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, 
the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We are back visiting with Andrew. So you you visited all these pipe makers, but you said the briar is sometimes the best teacher in... I'm sure you've spent a lot of time looking at it. Is there, uh, is there something in the in different types of briar that you prefer, or uh, what is it about the wood that teaches you? Hmm. Well, first, I guess I should say that I've been using the same supply of briar for the last forty over forty years. I got all my I got a lifetime supply of briar in one shot. Uh, um, on the boat directly from Greece in the early 70s. I had smoked some of this briar. It was beautiful, and it broke in right away. It just tasted great right from the start. So I went ahead and ordered what I figured was going to be a lifetime, my life's work uh, in briar. And it's the same briar that I'm using today. Wow. Beautiful briar, physically. But more importantly, uh, this briar just tends to break in immediately and smoke wonderfully from the start as, as an old friend of mine. Um, you know, obviously, I, I don't smoke all the pipes I've made. I've made several thousand in my life, but um, so have I smoked maybe a couple of dozen. But I, So I get a lot of feedback from the people over the years who have who've bought my work. So pipe after piece after piece after piece is very consistent wood, and it's probably the longest cured wood, who knows, in the world now? I don't know. Is any wor- uh, wood been around since the early 70s that's still being used today i don't know i have one more bag left and truthfully i think when i'm through with that bag i may be through with my work and that may not take too long um so i may have a couple of years a few years left of inspiration and briar but when i'm through with that particular briar i don't want to use any other so that that will be that (laughs) that will be that um let me see if I can talk a little more about, you know, something I wanted to say, which is interesting to me, and I think which maybe goes a little bit unnoticed, is that we as men have very little that we can have in our possession, especially to carry around, which really distinguishes us, which makes us feel comfortable, something we can hold, you know, something that makes us feel good. A pipe is one of the very few things, I think, allowed to a man that is that we hold very very dear and i was thinking of this the pipe appeals to almost every of all of our senses it appears to, it appeals to all of our senses except our ear it appeals to our sense of touch our sense of smell our sense of taste and our sense of sight i think that's rather interesting and it's the one little object of which which we can be intimate with i feel carry with us and appreciate in all those regards on a daily basis so, there. Yeah. That's for men and briar. I can almost, um, I can sometimes hear the bowl crackling as I'm lighting it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, actually, to speak of the bowl, I, I was going to speak about particular parts of the pipe, which I think are of great importance. Um, I was going to speak of the bowl, the chamber, the mouthpiece, 
I think it's incredible foresight for you to have ordered so much briar at you know so early on in the stage of your pipe making. Um, but is are there design aspects or the uh, the interior engineering that you prefer in your pipes? Yeah, and and I guess I guess I well design and engineering are two. Are, uh, you know, obviously you want the aesthetics and the, and the, and the functionality of this object to, to work beautifully together. You want this thing to function exquisitely, and you want it to look beautiful at the same time. So, but we're talking about, but if we speak about engineering, I think we're, if we speak about the chamber, which is something I'm interested in, uh, there are several aspects of the chamber or the bowl, inside of the bowl called the chamber, which relate to engineering. One is the drilling. The drilling, of course, must be absolutely on. It has to be dead center on the bottom of the bowl. The drilling is something I do first, not last. Um, I don't have that gearing of 60. I do my drilling first, and if the drilling is off, that's the end of that pe- that, that burl. That burl, I, I don't work it any further. Um, and I know that right from the start. Luckily, the drilling is almost always on, and I proceed from there. But that is of, of the utmost importance. Um, the other things about the chamber, which I find very important and, and sort of controversial, uh, are the treatment of the bowl. <clears throat> the Danes have been known for years for, to coat their bowls. In fact, when I was in Denmark, it was rather funny because I tried to find out what they were coating their bowls with. And they would say water glass. A water glass, a glass of water. I don't understand. There is a product, turns out, called water glass, which they paint on the inside of the bowl, or they were back then, which coats the inside of the bowl and makes it. Well, it does several things, and that's and this is done by a lot of pipe makers. Um, the bowl may be coated. Uh, it may be blackened and coated. What, what these operations do are several things. They'll reduce the risk of a burnout. They will also hide any imperfections that are inside of the bowl. The, I, I think that coating the inside of a bowl affects the breathing of the burl, personally. Uh, it also prevents, in my mind and heart, the true marriage between the pipe and, and the substance. Uh, which I think can only happen through a natural, untreated, unsanded interior. I don't coat my bowls. I don't hide them, uh, anything on the inside. I don't seal them. And uh, because I know my briar and I trust my briar. So much for bowls. And that does help with the flavor of the tobacco and the uh, in keeping the bowl cooler. I believe not treating a briar bowl at all is just the most is the proper way to do it. I, I think otherwise you're you if you don't trust your wood and you, and and you want to make sure it's not going to burn through because maybe it might, then you coat your bowl. If there's an imperfection on the inside of the bowl that you want to hide, you coat your bowl. Personally. I don't. If there's any imperfections in the inside of my bowl, that's the end of that pipe. Um, and I don't sand the inside of my bowls either. 
because I believe they carbonize quicker, break in more immediately, totally untreated bowl. And, and I believe that, that the briar will marry with the tobacco in, in a much more meaningful manner um, in, in a bowl that's untreated, in the whole briar pipe that's untreated. That's my philosophy on um, Mouthpieces. Um, I bought my mouth. I bought my my, my um, ebonite again in the 70s. Uh, both from Saint. I, I bought ebonite from Saint Claude, France, and I bought ebonite from from Germany. And I, I, the finest ebonite, I think. Um, stems have to be comfortable. And they have to be durable. Um, of course, they have to fit aesthetically with the, the pipe. They have to be one one with the pipe. You can't have a stem look as if it doesn't, you know, isn't part of the operation. The most important part is, is, is the button. It's, it's the part that you put in your mouth. So this part I paid a lot of attention to over the years. Dunhill has <clears throat> actually curved the inside of that button, you know, in kind of a little, you know, a curve that, that goes from, how do you put it? It's a concave curve if you're looking at it, right? Yep. Would that be correct? correct word? Mm-hmm. I actually make my curve convex. It's actually a little, a little outward rather than an inward one. I think it dissipates the smoke throughout the mouth better and doesn't just concentrate it in one spot on the tongue. Also, there are absolutely no straight edges on my stem. The, 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 the inside, from the outside of the inside, the tongue is experiencing a curve, a soft a softness, and also on the outside edges of the, of the button are also, are also curved and soft. So the whole experience is, is one of, um, hopefully, uh, pleasantness. And not something that, that might feel alien. So no tongue bite or tongue cut. Yeah, I, it's just I, I try to make my, my stems just very very comfortable in the mouth. <clears throat> and of course the pipe itself, depending upon what you're trying to trying to create, if you're trying to create something that's nearly weightless uh, and, and something to be carried in the mouth, then, then that's your concentration. You know, your design, your thinness of the bowl. This is another interesting thing: is that if you really know your wood, you can go, you can go to great, t- you can you can thin it, you can go to whatever, whatever you know, and be, and, and produce w- whatever lightness you wish to without burn through. So this, but this takes many years, I think, of of, of experience and, and just doing it, and then and 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 every once in a while, giving a pipe away or sending it out and saying, you know, I'm not sure about this one. This is awfully thin. Let me know. And if somebody's willing to be a guinea pig, so much the better. I've almost never had. I, I think in all the years, this is this is this is a little odd, but I think in all the years I've worked, if there have been three or four burn throughs, that's probably about it, unless I I didn't find out about them. But wow. uh, but that's all I, I I I think maybe three or four would be the most. Let me talk about something else of, of interest to me. Uh, um, Ryan, and yeah. that, that is, um, that's, um, well, I could speak of design, um, which is a whole subject in itself, and you, you mentioned the word. I, I like simplicity. I like grace, and I, I like a single line. I like something that flows like a mountain stream, some just little thing that begins and ends all in one gesture, something that you can hold lightly in your hand, put in your pocket. It's there, you know it's there. That's what I like to And I wanted to talk about something called a freehand briar pipe or handmade briar pipe. 
<laughs> there are a lot of makers today, and the word handmade is tossed around a lot. I have my own definition. Uh, it may or may not um, coincide with someone else's. But I've always uh, made my pipes freehand. Um, to my mind, that means no lathe is involved in the pipe's shaping. The briar is not fixed and spinning with a chisel held against its surface to form a round. Rather, I hold the briar in my two hands. A sanding disc of quite rough paper spins before me. I shape my briar against the wheel in many, many gestures to achieve its final form. All is determined only with the sanding wheel and, and my two hands which are holding the briar. That's what I would call a handmade pipe. And that's the way I work. So, you, so none of your pipes have ever been put on a lathe? You get your round shanks and round bowls purely by your eyes and your hands? Exactly. And in fact, that is really the hardest pipe to make by hand, is to achieve a round in that manner. Um, and the classic shapes for that matter, a billiard, for example, is probably one of the hardest pipes to make by hand because it's so simple and so precise. And, and if you're doing everything with a stroke, a gesture against the sanding wheel, you know, everything is being determined by each stroke that you make. It's a very interesting process. It's fun. Um, but it's also, it's, that's also the wonder of it, is that you just don't know. And here's another little note I make. You don't know what's going to happen in the end. Um, the risks are, are the, the briar is very fickle, even the finest of briar. Um, you might, as I was saying before, you might come to a point where you think you're finished with this piece, you're admiring it, and all of a sudden you pick up on this tiny, tiny, do you want to leave it? What do you want to do with this thing? <laughs> so that's the challenge, the unknown outcome. Um, and I think that's what keeps, keeps me intrigued, is that I might come out with something exquisite in the end, you know, in its grain, in its shape, everything. Or it might be something that gets tossed into the woods. You just don't know. And to me, that's fascinating and interesting. And if you love your work, you take all that with some equanimity. Every once in a while, I will get upset, you know, and I will talk. I will get upset. But I'm, I've been delighted to find out over the years, I guess I must like this work well enough and have enough respect for the wood, that what happens, happens. And if you put your best effort into it, it happens. And, and that's that. You may, you may regret it if something bad happens that day, but... That's that. You go on. You go on to the next one. And the hope that maybe something really exciting is going to turn out with the next piece. But, but still, that's, that means a lot to me. Andrew, I've got a ton of other stuff to talk about, but we're running out of time. Can I get you to come back next week or the week after for to finish up the other questions that I've got? Because I've just got, I'm fascinated by a couple more things. I would love it, of course. That'd be great. All right. So in the meantime, the website is andrewmarkspipemaker.com. That's Andrew, 
and then markspipemaker.com. There's a ton of pipes, ton of pictures on there. Andrew, I look forward to having you back on in a couple of weeks with more questions, if that's okay with you. It'd be my pleasure. We'll be back in just a minute. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm thinking after, after talking to a couple of pipe makers in Chicago and then hearing Andrew talk, um, it, I, there seems to be a real, uh, in the pipe makers that make a real go of it or a long success of pipe making, there's a sense of humility when working with the, when working with the briar as well as a relentless pursuit of what's next. Um, you know, the never, never being able to achieve the perfect pipe, but always wanting to try nec- the next one to be the best pipe possible. So there's my thoughts. We'll have Andrew back on, I promise. I've got a ton of other questions for him. All right, for music, um, <laughs> I kind of screwed up and should have played this one last week. But there's a Blues Brothers song called Sweet Home Chicago. And since I called the greater Chicago area home for six nights, this, of course, has a couple of, a couple of pipe smokers in it. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, occasionally a pipe smoker. And, of course, Donald Duck Dunn on bass. So this is uh, the Blues Brothers and Sweet Home Chicago. Two, six to his aid. 
Smoking hot Chicago blues. Um, you know, I had one listener come up to me during the weekend, and I apologize. I'm terrible with remembering names and terrible with names. Uh, but he said that his wife always wants to know what was the music and what was the rant. <laughs> so, or rant or rave. Um, anyway, the Blues Brothers, Chicago, home. Tuesday, Monday. You've got mail. Tuesday, Wednesday. You've got mail. Thursday, Friday. You've got mail. In the mailbag, I did talk to John Seiler, who has apparently got a new Tuesday night hobby, although still listening. Uh, He's got a new Tuesday night hobby, so we still love you, John. But, uh, going back to last week's show, uh, Lincoln's Bark wrote, Interview seemed like it could have been hours longer. Love the stories. Hope all have fun at the Chicago show. And then uh, S.S. Jones, Al, said, I agree with Lincoln's Bark. Hopefully Brian can complete some follow-up interviews. I think Pete could do entire segments on making Italian pipes and etc. And C Sharp says, It was so nice to hear from the man behind the Elephant and Castle brand. It brought back memories of a time when I was a neophyte pipe smoker dreaming over a copy of the PCI. Marble Arch always had an Elephant and Castle advertisement in that publication. Ironically, it was the first brand I fell in love with, yet I was never able... Uh, I was never able to sample any of them. Yeah, I hope we can uh, have Pete back on again and uh, get some follow-ups done. Uh, And Al also said, uh, finally, I've been lobbying for this interview and it did not disappoint. Pete's wealth of knowledge about the British and Italian makers is perhaps unparalleled. He also appears to be a fine person and I hope to meet and share a smoke with him someday. An elephant and castle blend, of course, the stout. Uh, Ken Barnes wrote, uh, I totally agree with with Al. I'm so pleased that Pete was able to share his experiences with like-minded people. I certainly recalled stuff that was stored in the deepest recesses of my mind. I then recall driving up Park Lane, and when we got to uh, Speaker's Corner, I said that this was Marble Arch. Pete liked the Marble Arch itself and also the name. I think that this is what happened. If not, it may have been another one of my dreams. Pete has a vast knowledge about tobacco blending and so far and so forth. It was a real pleasure to hear his voice again. Uh, you know, both Pete and Ken, uh, just uh, endless amounts of history, and we will get back to him and have him on again. I promise. I promise. Uh, Casey Ghost says, This was just a great interview. Good job, Brian. His knowledge of the industry seemed... To have no end. His enthusiasm for um, for telling his story was wonderful. Didn't know he was involved in the elephant and castle blends. Even the horse breeding stuff was very interesting. Music? Yuck. Yeah, sorry. Um, 
Let's see. Loner Tree says, uh, Brian, next year sign off with Going to Chicago Blues by Joe Williams. I think I played that like two or three years ago. I uh, can't remember. And uh, finally, Mike Murphy says, Brian, I really enjoyed your conversation with Pete. These are your best episodes simply due to the history in the business. Pete didn't disappoint, so thank you. Also, I finally caught up with all your back episodes. For the last four months, I listened Monday through Friday while at work for roughly six hours per night. Now, I'm not really sure what will entertain me during these early morning hours. Thanks, Mike. Um, Mike, (laughs) yeah, you're going to have to come up with something else to entertain you. But, um, yeah, uh, six hours a night of me? Wow. All right, uh, just a quick note. Do not forget uh, JDRF fundraiser still going on, and the next uh, pipe show is the Greater Kansas City Pipe Show. That's coming up June uh, 25th, 26th. Hang on, I'm pulling up the exact date here. Yeah, June 24th, 25th, 26th, Kansas City, Missouri, at the Argosy Casino. All right, that's about it for the mailbag, and uh, rant time is next. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Cowboy. Cowboy. I did mention that I got to go do some shopping on Wednesday afternoon and got some deals on some stuff I'd been looking for. Well, it's a Simon Malls, and it's called the uh, Premium Outlet of Chicago. And guess what? It's an outdoor mall, all right? Outdoor mall, all the stores are lined up, and they all face outdoors. There's some small covered areas in between the walkways. And then there are some very large open central courts. One of them's even got a lake that looks like the lake's about a quarter of an acre with a fountain in the middle of it. Guess what? Guess what? The entire public area of the mall is 100% smoke-free. Yeah, smoke-free. No smoking in the outdoors, even though you might be 50 feet from the entrance of a building not near anybody but some dumb ducks sitting on cold water. No, it's smoke-free. You are supposed to go to the parking lot or to the edge of the outdoor, the outside of the mall area and smoke. Now, 
if they're pissed off about smokers and don't want them around there because they're dirty or nasty or whatever we are, you know what? Give us some shelter at least. At least give us a couple of chairs or some place to hide from the wonderful weather elements of the great Chicagoland area. No, instead they got a standing out there and there's not an ashtray or anything, not even a bench, nothing to go and smoke. So apparently, apparently Simon Malls doesn't want to make it uh, convenient and welcoming for the 18 to 20 percent of the U.S. population that uses tobacco daily, and they would prefer that uh, cigarette smokers throw their butts in the uh, in the in the sewer or into the flower beds that were out there near the smoking area. Now the weather was so bad out that day that I was there that there wasn't anybody really around so when i wanted to smoke i smoked wherever i happened to be and nobody wanted to sit or stand outside for too long anyway but i'll tell you what not real inviting not real happy about ever going back there again all right there you go rant is over uh hey make sure and leave us a rating or review on itunes we certainly do appreciate those it's been a while since we've had a new one and would appreciate it if you are listening on itunes please make sure and click the subscribe button so you get all the episodes automatically downloaded into your uh, itunes account got a comment want to leave a message for me post it right on the radio show page on pipesmagazine.com or you can email me, brian, at pipesmagazine.com. All right, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Andrew for joining me. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to the moon. Till we meet again.